Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Investing with IBD podcast sponsored by Vantage Point. It's Wednesday, September 8th, 2021, and on today's show, we've got a very special guest. So first, let me go ahead and introduce myself. I'm Justin Nielsen, your host. I'm joined by Arusha Paris, O'Neill Global Advisors Portfolio Manager, the co-manager of my fantasy football team, the Gilligan to my skipper. Uh, welcome back, Arusha. Thanks for being on. Great, great to be here, Justin. Yep, we did our draft yesterday, so that's yeah. why he's smiling. It was uh, successful. Right. We're we're good to go. We're locked and loaded. Did you recover? I yeah, it was shockingly. It was a rough start. It was a rough start. It was a very rough start. Start, yes. Okay, so now let's go ahead and bring on our real main attraction here. We've got returning to the show, Kenny Polkari. He is a managing partner at Case Capital Advisors. He was a floor trader on the New York Stock Exchange for four decades. That's a lot of experience. He was actually the floor trader for William O'Neill for a number of years. Um, I can't tell you how great it was for me personally to get, uh, you know, to get a tour of the New York Stock Exchange from Kenny himself. Uh, just an absolute treat. So, Kenny, welcome back to the show. Thanks for being well, uh, here. Thank you, Justin, for having me. Narush, thanks for having me because it's yeah. a pleasure always to come back. I, I enjoy our time together. I enjoy the conversation. So, uh, so I suspect we're going to have the same today. Yeah, I will say that one thing that uh, <laughs> being on the floor with you, uh, you know, I, I guess it's just your Italian nature. Uh, yeah. You seem to use your hands as punctuation. And um, what, what, what all the traders learned, you know, anyone that was on a, a tour with you is uh, back up a little bit because uh, you, you hit people in the chest a lot as punctuation. It was so. only for emphasis, right? <laughs> for emphasis. Point. Yes. And, and I still have the some of the bruises. To... The women. Yeah, right. <laughs> some of the bruises to prove it that, you know, when you get animated. So uh, a lot of fun. So on today's show, we're going to get Kenny's take on the markets. We're going to get some stock ideas from him, uh, especially though, we're going to focus on those broad strokes of what he's seeing out there. Um, and then, you know, we've got 9-11 coming up this weekend. So that happened 20 years ago. Kenny's going to share some of the experiences that he had uh, being there in New York, being a floor trader on the New York Stock Exchange. And so uh, really looking forward to hearing about those experiences. It's, it's, it's really a touching thing that Kenny shares. So first, let's go ahead and uh, maybe we, we start with uh, the market. Um, Kenny, what, what index do you like to look at most? So I think the one that you have to look at from my position is the S&P, right? Because it's the broader index uh, for kind of the large mid-cap, large-cap names. And then you got to look at the IWM or the RTY gives you kind of the Russell, the overview mm -hmm. of the Russell. So the Dow is great to look at. Listen, the Dow is the Dow, right? But it really is only 30 stocks and right. it was relevant back in 1912. Um, <laughs> and as much as it's around today and everyone, you know, likes to look at it, the Dow is not representative, I don't think, of the broader economy. So you have to kind of move with the times, right? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so we've been uh, making new highs in the last couple of weeks here. It's uh, It's been quite a run since we had that coronavirus crash in 2020. Um, not too much of a break here. And I mean, if we go back uh, even, even further, I mean, this has been quite a run for uh, a number of years now. I mean, really... Um, you know, a lot of people are pointing to, you know, 2016 or even 2009, the financial, uh, you know, crisis that we had in 2008 uh, and the recovery afterwards. So what is your take on where we're at big picture for the market right now? 
So listen, I, I, I'm a big believer in the markets. I'm a believer in the markets generating, creating wealth. I'm a believer in you know how they structured and, and what they're meant to do. So I'm not surprised that we see over the long term the market continue to advance. And I would suspect that's going to happen as we go along. It's hard not to say though that the the surge that we've seen since uh, 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 well, really I guess since the crisis, two thousand and nine. Uh, has been fueled by central bank activity. And not just the yeah. Fed, I'm talking about the Bank of England, the ECB, the European Central Bank, the People's Bank of China, the Reserve Bank of Australia, the Bank of Japan. All these central banks got together, as you know, um, during the crisis. And during the crisis, I don't mean the COVID crisis, I mean the great financial crisis of 2008 and 9. And I think what a lot of people outside of the industry don't really realize is how close the global financial system came to really the edge, right? I mean, it was a very tenuous time. And for those of us who were in, in the business, and listen, I had the vantage point of looking at it directly at from the New York Stock Exchange, from through the eyes of institutional investors. And my clients were institutional investors in this country as well as in Europe, right? right. So hedge funds, mutual funds, pension plans, those kinds of institutions um, during that crisis, during that year and a half that we saw the market lose you know, 60% of its value uh, and get crushed. But really, I think what's important is um, is how close we came mm -hmm. in terms of financial Armageddon, right? The complete collapse. And so it was clear that the central banks had to do something and thank God that they did. Uh, and so I think it's hard not to pinpoint a lot of the action from since then to the support that those central banks not only started to give in 2009, but continue to give today. Right. Right. <laughs> nearly, you know, nearly uh, uh, more than a decade later. And so we could talk about that because that's clearly fueled, you know, fan the flames here. Well, well again, and, with, and, and, with that, and that accelerated. It, it seemed like they were trying to back off a little bit. And yes. then, of course, COVID hit mm -hmm. and yeah. then it really accelerated. Yeah. You know, they didn't want to take any chances uh, with, with, with uh, what was going on last year. No, and I understand the COVID situation, you know, just added complexity to this to, to the conversation. Yet, remember when Ben Bernanke, before even Janet Yellen, remember when Ben Bernanke um, uh, was towards the end of his career, you know, and they were already starting then to talk about, you know, as Yellen was taking over that, you know, we should try to start to normalize, right? We should right, try, right, try right. to pull back. And remember how, how anxious the markets got. And I think part yes. of that is just a result of, of, you know, the nervousness, I hear you. Um, and then the Fed thought they had pumped all this money in and they'd stabilized the system. The last thing they wanted to see was a complete meltdown. And so they didn't do anything, yep. which, you know, I understand. I understand. You know, you can argue it both ways. On the other side, I think in retrospect, it might have been actually a mistake. Now, look, they could have pulled back. And then when COVID hit, they could have just jumped in again. Right. But in fact, they never pulled back. And when COVID hit, they just went more. Right? <laughs> and so I hear you. Yeah. But yeah. Now we're in this place where. It's, we all recognize it. They've got to start to pull back from, they got to start somewhere. And if they don't start pretty damn soon, it's in my mind, it's only going to be worse because yeah. they keep pushing the cookie jar and pushing the cookie right. jar and pushing it. You no, know, it's like, listen, taking your phone away. I'm, I'm writing my note for tomorrow and I'm using this analogy. When a parent has to take the phone away from the teenage yeah. kid who throws a temper tantrum mm -hmm. and then he gets over it or she gets over it. Right. The longer mm -hmm. we keep pushing this, the temper tantrum is going to be that much worse. And yeah. that's really kind of what I'm afraid of, right? I mean, I kind of look at the the fourth quarter of 2018 as that little bit of a temper tantrum. And it was just at the 
thought of, you know, yep. oh, we're just kind of saying that we're going to do this. Exactly right. And now not only, you know, now they've been talking about it much more. You saw Jay Powell come out at Jackson Hole, and it was actually the weeks leading up to Jackson Hole. Notice what they did. And they do this a lot where they send out different talking heads from the Fed to right. kind of appear on this station, appear on that station, do this interview, hint at, well, maybe we're going to start because they want to they want to test the reaction. They want to take the temperature of investors yeah. to see, OK, can we do this? What was the reaction? What if we start to say we're talking about it? And that's what we saw leading into Jackson Hole, which I thought was legitimate. That was fine because Jay Powell is on a certain level trying to control the narrative. And he should. Right. Because he sits in this position where everyone's going to point the finger at him anyway. Right. So he should try to control the narrative. And then so, when he came so out. So, Kenny, just getting back to the just the, the current market for the short term, short to intermediate term, wh wh where, where do you think we're at? Do you think so, we're due for some kind of pullback here? Yeah, or? I think we're toppy and I think we are due for a pullback. Right. Yep. Um, and, and, and what I want to see happen is every time we start to get a pullback, everyone from the Fed comes out, and reassures everybody. And then all the buy the difference going and boom, it's off yeah. the right. Thing, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> what I'm really kind of hoping is that the Fed is not so quick that the Fed is going to let it kind of be a little bit of turmoil. I think a little bit of turmoil is okay. I think right. shaking the branches to see who falls out is okay. Right. Look, we haven't sure. had a 10 percent correction since when? Since COVID, right? Yeah. I mean, we've been going on for 18 months now. And every time we're off 3%, you know, someone goes out and says, don't worry, don't worry. And all the buy the dippers come in and boom, we're higher again. And so right. I think the Fed, and I would love to see the Fed just say, look, we're stepping back. We're not pulling away, but we're not going to be so, so aggressive to keep, you know, wiping everybody's I can't say that, right? Uh, um, uh, you know, be, I, they have to let the turmoil happen a little bit, right? Yeah, it yeah. has to. It has to. It's not healthy for it not to. And but be very I feel clear I, and firm, this is happening. So I yeah. think it's happening. And I, I think it's happening. I think the market is going to back off. I would like, personally, I'd like to see like a 7 to 10% correction, which I think is which I think is realistic. I think yep. uh, Morgan Stanley and Wells Fargo, they've come out calling for anywhere from a 10 to 15% correction because they think it's a little bit more uh, toppy. Um, and I think that's very, it's very possible. You and I both know that. We know how quick the psyche can change. And with the automation today, we also know how quick you can you know, fall three, four, 5% in a day. Right. We've right. seen it. Right. So it's not like it can't happen. Um, but I think, and I, th I think the more they push it, the more juice they keep giving it, then when the fall does come, then I think it's going to be one of those crazy falls where suddenly you're going to see the market down, you know, 10 percent or 7 percent. Then you're going to get the you're going to get the uh, the circuit breakers that get that get elected. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, yep. But I think you're going to see that happening, quite honestly. And I hate to say it like this, but I think it has to happen because it's got people. And this is not reality. Do you realize we have a whole generation of of people in the financial services industry now that came into this? during the crisis when rates went to zero and there's nothing but stimulus, 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 and they have no experience with <laughs> a amazing. down market or normalization of rates. And I'm right. not saying that, I'm not saying shame on them. It's shame on us for letting that happen because right. what are they going to do when it hits the fan? Right. They, right. They, they don't know the term correction. Exactly yeah. right. And they right. don't. Three percent. That's a correction. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah, exactly. And they're all arguing about, oh, my God, mortgage rates went from two or three quarters to three percent. Oh, my God, I can't afford the house. You can't afford the house. My, <laughs> my first mortgage was 15 and a half percent in 1983. 
And so for people to say, oh, it's never going to happen. You're a dinosaur. It's never going to happen. A dinosaur? Mm. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> it is going to happen. Trust me. And that's what I'm afraid of because I'm afraid that they're going to lose sight of inflation and then inflation is going to rear its ugly head. And then suddenly the Fed's going to have to say, and so we're not talking about quarter percentage, quarter of 1% moves anymore. Now you're talking about half and full percentage point moves. And then they're going to go, then they're all going to go, oh my God. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. Well, we're going to give Kenny a little bit of a chance to cool down after that last uh, segment. But when we come back, we're going to get into some of those broad strokes. So make sure you stay tuned for that. Kicking yourself for that early exit? You can prevent them, and it's easier than you think. Go to freestockcoaching.com to see the tool independent traders are using to perfect their trades, artificial intelligence. AI doesn't involve staring at your screen for hours, and no research is needed. Just pick a stock and press a button. Visit freestockcoaching.com to see a live demo now. You need to be ready for rapid market changes, and AI can help you avoid potential losses. Check out freestockcoaching.com to learn more. Trading involves financial risk and is not suitable for all investors. Past results do not guarantee future performance. Welcome back to the Investing with IBD podcast sponsored by Vantage Point. It's Justin Nielsen here along with Arusha Paris of O'Neill Global Advisors and our special guest, Kenny Polkari. You can reach Kenny Polkari, by the way, at Twitter at his handle, at Kenny Polkari. He is the managing partner at Case Capital Advisors. So Kenny, with all your experience in the markets, again, really being in the thick of things, um, you were saying how we just haven't had that correction in a while. So um, how are you positioning yourself right now? Uh, what, what is it that you're looking at as your, I guess, indicators? Um, and, and what is it that you're looking to get into to kind of protect yourself from a potential uh, real correction of seven to 10%, or I guess, kind of a correction? So I got a couple of things. And as a, uh, you know, from the, if you want to play the protection game on the downside, because you're worried, which I am. Um, so I bought, I bought the Vixie, right? V-I-X-Y, mm-hmm. um, which a lot, when you buy it, you actually go short the S&P, right? So right. it's like you buy it. So it goes up in value. The market's actually going down, right? right. But that helps to protect so as a, as on the retail side, as a retail investor, that's the tool that I use, right? The Vixie, V-I-X-Y, because you're betting on the volatility because you know how volatility spikes. Um, yeah. And that's when, all based on when, the options market, the implied they, volatility of the S&P 500. And yeah. Right. So I, and, and, and this is not a long term, like people don't buy this to hold this for long term, <laughs> like you might buy Apple. It's very tactical and you, and it's very time specific in terms of, you know, I bought it last week because I suspect, and I, I, I suspect I'm going to hold it probably through the end of the month because I think we're going to run into this volatility uh, during this month, right? We started to see a little bit yesterday. We started to see it again today. So that, that actually was, uh, it was up small today. I think it was up 8% yesterday, but um, let's see how it closed out today. I think it was, uh, you know, the market was under pressure and this thing was up another, uh, actually it was flat today. Yeah. It didn't do anything. Right. Which is kind of interesting. Yeah, the S and P five hundred. You know, I mean, for as much as growth yeah. got hit today, S and P five hundred really only came down. Like only came in five points. Yeah, six yeah. points. Yeah, so it came in small. Um, but I suspect as the S and P comes under more pressure, then you're going to see, uh, you'll see that. But I also like you know, going into um, uh, the end of the year and, and actually even into the new year. I'm not one of these people that does this massive portfolio shift because mm-hmm. things that are in my portfolio are names that I like in the long term. Am I selling my Apple position? Hell no. Am I mm-hmm. buying more though at the top? No, I'm not. 
But if Apple comes in 25 or 30 percent on some correction where we see a lot of money go into the big name stocks where it's easy to raise cash and they dislocate Apple because of that reason, would I buy more down 25 or 30? Hell yes, I will. Right. But I'm not buying it at the top. But that doesn't mean I'm not buying names like IBM, right? Because I look at IBM as a value play. It's a big blue chip Americana name, right? It's a good dividend payer. I'm not worried about IBM going out of business. I think it's safety. So going in for me, that provides some safety. Other names that, I've, that, I'll, that I'll get into or that I'm getting into or adding to uh, are financial names. I, get, uh, I, I have utility now, right? But I play the utilities with the XLU because it's just easier, yep. right? The mm -hmm. XLU uh, ETF, utility ETF. Such um, as spiders, that's actually, right? That's actually been that's actually been good for me because I bought the XLUs back in the summer, right, in June. So where you see it down there, about oh, sixty-two yeah. bucks, um, and so it's done well for me, right? And I think it will. And you've gotten a dividend out of it too, I'm sure. And I've gotten a <laughs> dividend out of it, and so I just and I and I play that game where I just reinvest. I'm not taking my dividends as cash. I just I, they just automatically reinvest in the individual stocks that uh, that that I hold, right? Can you um, for, for XLU? Were, were you when you bought it around sixty-two? Were you yep. using the, as it was coming into the 200-day moving average, anything like that to, to uh, buy it? Or was uh, it just more a larger picture? Well, it was two things. A, I always look at it. I When I come up with a name that I like, I do look at it on the chart. And the fact that it was coming in and testing the 200 made a lot of sense to me, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. I was betting on the fact that it wasn't going to break. And in fact, it didn't. Um, and it's done. It's gone higher from here, right? I look at my IBM. IBM it would not be the same, right? IBM is below uh, it's trend line. But what I like about IBM is when we talk about the infrastructure play and the money they're going to spend and where IBM right. stands in that. Um, and and because it is big blue chip Americana, it does have a nice dividend. So therefore, I'm not I, I don't think IBM is going to collapse. And if it does, guess what? I like it. So I would end up buying more IBM just because I mm -hmm. like it. Mm -hmm. uh, and then, as you said, you have, you've got that Vixie position that's really kind of allowing you to take the sting out of Correct. some of these holdings that you have, uh, you know, because, again, if, if, if they get thrashed, um, Vixie's going to be going up, we'll you know, go taking up some of the sting out. Right, exactly. And, and it can go up a lot very quickly right. when you, that volatility You know how, how the Vix can spike suddenly, right? You get Absolutely. Hit with, you get hit with something out of, out of left field that maybe you didn't. Maybe you didn't expect, like, which yeah, is you want to see a big spike? Go look at both. 2008, right? Right, exactly. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. So now, are you looking at the 10 year treasury? I mean, you, you mentioned how you're into financials, you're, you know, doing some of these dividend plays. Are you uh, tying that to the 10 year treasury yield I, at all? I, I, I look at the 10 year treasury and then what happens to the dollar, right? Because as treasury, as the yield goes up and treasuries that add strength to the dollar, and then you mm -hmm. see what happens to the commodity complex, right? Because commodities are priced in dollars. So as the dollar gets stronger, then commodities tend to come under a little bit of pressure mm -hmm. as a result. But yes, I'll keep my eyes on, and I actually think the, the year is going to end with the 10-year treasury closer to one. You know, I was at, I was closer to two earlier in the year, but I think if we end up at about between one six and one seven, I think that's probably a fair estimate uh, where I think the 10-year treasury is going to end by, uh, by December. Mm -hmm. Now, Kenny, one, one thing that you like, cause so you're, you're still invested in technology stocks, yeah. but you like to, for innovation and things like that, you like to go to a specific ETF. Talk, talk a little bit about that. Right. So I like Kathy, Arc's, uh, Kathy Woods' ARC ETF because it's a tech disruptor, right? So yep. everything that in there represents, everything that's in there represents kind of, you know, the 21st century, right? You're not, it, it, IBM is not in her ARC ETF, but right. Coinbase is, Spotify is, Shopify is, Tesla is, right? Those are all disruptive names in the industries that they're in. And I don't want to necessarily, because there are so many tech disruptors, I don't necessarily want to make a bet. I'm not going to buy a little piece of everything. I'd say, 
I like Kathy Woods. I like her style. I like her analysis. I like her presentation. So let her do the work and I'm going to ride her coattails. And I did that with ARK, A-R-K-K, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And I like that. uh, I like that position. That position for me, it's probably a little bit overweight right now. That's about 11% of my portfolio, uh, which is probably, which is probably too much, but um, I can fix that now with new money that I'm going to put in. I'm not going to buy more ARK at the moment. Uh, I'll buy some of the other names that we discussed and that will, that will help balance that out a little bit, but I'm not selling my tech names. I'm not selling my disruptor names at all, because I think, you know, as we go forward, it's all about the disruption. And I think she's right on point. Yeah, absolutely. Well, when we come back, we're going to get into a little bit more of a somber note. And Kenny is going to share with us uh, his experience from 20 years ago, as we look at the anniversary of 9-11 and what that was like uh, being being at the New York Stock Exchange, working there and uh, everything that that entailed. So stay tuned for that. We'll be right back. Why trade off hope and optimism when you can trade using the world's most powerful indicator? Artificial intelligence has been used by traders to navigate the markets for the past three decades. Visit freestockcoaching.com to see the world-leading AI forecasting software for yourself. Trusted by more than 32,000 traders, AI uses millions of data points to track market trends, giving you the support you need right now. Go to freestockcoaching.com and we will help you find great opportunities today. Our experts will show you what stocks are setting up for big changes right now. So head over to freestockcoaching.com for a free demo. Trading involves financial risk and is not suitable for all investors. Past results do not guarantee future performance. Just wanted to give a quick warning on this next segment. We're getting into a discussion of the events of 9-11 with Kenny Polkari, and we realize this may be a sensitive or upsetting conversation for some folks. So this would be the time to just maybe skip this segment if you aren't in a good space to hear that content right now, or you can always pause and listen when you're ready and mentally prepared for it. Welcome back to Investing with IBD, sponsored by Vantage Point. I'm your host, Justin Nielsen, along with Arusha Paris from O'Neill Global Advisors and Kenny Polkari from Case Capital Advisors. Uh, Now, Kenny spent... 40 years uh, on the New York Stock Exchange as a floor trader, um, you know, as, as a young upstart, he's seen a lot of things, but nothing probably compares to what you saw 20 years ago uh, during 9-11, during that whole time, a lot of things were changing for the exchange. Um, we've just, you know, again, we're looking at 20 years now coming up this weekend. We've just pulled out of Afghanistan. A lot of things have happened in that 20 years. So Kenny, can you take us back a little bit and just kind of share with us uh, what that was like uh, for you personally 20 years ago and for the exchange? Yeah, um, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting because there's been a ton of mixed emotions as we've approached uh, this 20th anniversary. And I think, I think a lot of it uh, ignited by what you said, kind of the events of the recent past with U.S. and Afghanistan and what's happened there now. And it's kind of stirred up a lot of emotion for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, for, 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 you know, any of the listeners that were either too young to remember or, uh, you know, weren't in New York or D.C. or Shanksville, Pennsylvania, um, you know, my experience, my experience, um, I had an office on the 55th floor of Tower Two, right? And I was, I, I used to, I would walk into my office every morning and I'd look out the window and the window would look right out over the Hudson River and over Jersey. And 
I used to, you know, here I was, you know, I was this kid from Boston and now I ended up in New York and I was a member of the New York Stock Exchange and I, I had a, a fairly vibrant business and I had this office on the 55th floor of the World Trade Center. Like it was, it was almost like a fairy tale for me, right? I used to walk in my house every day, you know, clicking my heels singing if my mm-hmm. friends could see me now because, you know, like that, that when you're 17 years old and, and, and you're trying to write the story of what your future is going to look like, that's not the story I would have written necessarily, but nonetheless, here I was, right? And, uh, and so I had my own business at the time and I used to go to the office in the morning and then I'd leave there every day, like at around five minutes to nine to go across the street, three blocks over the New York Stock Exchange to work during the day. Because during the day I was on the floor. So in the morning or at night, I'd be in my office, right, where I had all my papers and all that stuff, right? And uh, so I went to work that day. And I think what, what's, what people need to understand also, if you had, had you never been, the, the, the trade centers, because they were so big, the elevators didn't go from the lobby all the way up to 110. The elevators went from the lobby to 46. And if you worked above the 46th floor, you'd have to walk around to a different bank of elevators that would take you from 46 up to 110. And so I was on the 55th floor. So... I'd have to go to 46, walk around, go up to 55, and then go to my office. Um, and if you were the only person in the elevator, I used to get to the office every morning at five minutes to seven. So mm-hmm. as, I got, as I got to the trade center, I'd press the button in the lobby. I'd wait for the elevator. You'd get in. You'd press 46. The elevator would go up to 46. You'd get out. You'd walk around. You'd press the button for the next elevator. You'd wait for it to come. Then when it came, you'd go up to 55. If you were the only person in the elevator, it could take you eight or 10 minutes to get in or out of the building, just by the time you waited for the elevators, you, you went in and out. Uh, if there were two or three people in the elevator with you, it could take you 15 or 20 minutes if somebody pressed a button here, the elevator stopped, the doors open, you gotta wait, the doors closed. Like that. Um, and so that was that's key to this part of the story because when when I tell you what happened, you'll you'll understand. But that morning I was there in my office. I was, you know, the 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 five guys that we, we there were six of us, and I had my office on. In, in that position, I had the window in my office looked out over the, over the river. And the, the other four guys had an office. It was an interior office across the hall from mine. It was interior. There were no windows at the top. And so these guys would come to work and they were doing, you know, all the work that they would typically do every morning. And I was in my office doing my stuff. Now, remember, it was August had just ended. It was September 11th. Uh, it was my business. I had to go through bills. I had to approve bills. Mm-hmm. I had to pay bills. And so I had a stack of papers on my desk. And these guys, they came into my office about five minutes of eight. And they said, you know, we're going to go to the exchange and have breakfast. You could go to the New York Stock Exchange up on the seventh floor. There was this thing called the Members Luncheon Club. Um, and they served beautiful breakfast and lunch there every day. And you could go bring clients. You could bring guests. You could... And so we used to go once or twice a week as a, as a firm. And we'd go up and we'd talk about, um, we'd talk about a situation. I'd, we'd talk about that, ask me questions about what happened in the crowd here. We'd talk about different clients, what they needed, what they didn't need, what was important to them, not important, all that kind of stuff. Right. And this morning they came in and they said, you know, we're going to go to, we'll come with us. We're going to go to the exchange. And I said, I, I can't go. I said, I got too much work to do. I go, you guys go, I'll just meet you over at the exchange, you know, at nine o'clock, just leave. So, you know, go enjoy yourselves, whatever. So they left at eight o'clock. And they left. I was alone up in this office on the 55th floor. And they go down the elevator to 46. They go down. They go down to the lobby. They get outside. It was a spectacular day. And they start walking across the street. And for some reason, one of them looked at the other three and said, "You know, I'm going to go. I'm going to get Kenny. 
I, I, I want Kenny to come to breakfast. So he said to the other three, you guys go across the street, go get the, go get the table. I'm going back up to get Kenny. Now, he could have easily called me on the cell phone to say, Kenny, just come to breakfast. But he knew that I would have said, I can't click and would have hung up. Mm-hmm. So this young man came back in the building, came back on the elevators, came back upstairs to the 55th floor. Now he sticks his head in my office. It's now 820. Because they left at 8. They get downstairs at 810. He comes back upstairs. Now it's 820. And he sticks his head in my office. And he said to me, I looked at him and I go, Jonathan, what are you doing? I thought you guys went to breakfast. He said, Kenny, we did. He goes, but you don't understand. We want you to come to breakfast. Now, there was, there was a trade that had happened the day before. It was this big trade that we did. And they wanted to talk about this trade, what I did, mm-hmm. what was going on. I said, listen, I can't go. I already told you. I got too much work to do. Look at all this paper, the bills I had at my desk. I can't go. But this kid had a bug up his backside that he would not take no for an answer. And he kept saying to me, come on, come on. And then he finally said, look, we'll come back at the end of the day. We'll help you do whatever you need to do. Whatever bills you need to pay, whatever you need to do, we'll help you do everything. Now, look. I'm six feet, 235 pounds. I'm always hungry. It's not like I'm not hungry. I was hungry, (laughs) but I also had work to do. But he was insistent that I leave and go to breakfast. And so I flipped around in my chair and I looked out the window and it was, when I tell you, a perfect day. There wasn't a cloud in the sky. And it was one of those September mornings on the East Coast that was just joyous. I mean, it was, the weather was just perfect and the temperature was perfect and it was, it was perfect. And so I, he convinced me. And so I picked up my jacket and we left. It was about 822 when we left the office, got in the elevator, went downstairs, went downstairs again. And we got out to the lobby. Now, now it's 830, 832. And we start walking across the three and a half blocks to go to the exchange. And we'll get the exchange right up to the seventh floor to have breakfast. Now, remember what I just said, I'm on the seventh floor of the exchange, which is three and a half blocks east of the trade centers. Mm -hmm. Trade centers are over here, two buildings side by side. The first plane comes north to south and hits the the north tower way up high is at the top of the building between 80 and 100, right? It took out about 20 floors when it hit the building. But because it was going north to south, the explosion was going south, right? As it exploded through the building, the explosion and the flame shot out to the south, the exchange is to the east. And we were, that was way up in the hundreds and we were way down on the seventh floor. I didn't hear it, I didn't feel it, I didn't see it. I had no clue what had just happened, nor did anybody, right? right. And so now we have breakfast, we get downstairs and you know when you, when, you, when you go someplace and something has happened and there's all this commotion and people are running around but yet nobody really knows what happened. And so when I got out of the elevator, I, there was all this commotion. And I thought to myself, you know, what the hell's going on? And I said to the security guard, I go, what's this commotion? He said to me, a plane flew inside of the trade center. And you almost wanted to laugh because you're thinking to yourself, a plane flew into the trade center. Like, it's not like you can't see them. They're the biggest thing in downtown Manhattan. Right. It was spectacular. And then your first thought was, you know, it was like a commuter plane. The guy had a heart attack. He flew into the building. Listen, it happened in 1946 at the Empire State Building. The guy went right into the 86th floor. But it was a single engine Cessna, right? Mm-hmm, right. It was, and it was dangling from the, from the 86th floor, right? Um, he goes, no. He goes, it wasn't. He goes, it was a jet. And I go, I looked at him and I go, it can't be a jet. Jets don't fly down the west side of Manhattan. I mean, it's just not part of the flight path. And why would a jet fly through the trade center? Like, like I looked at him like he was completely lost his mind. Yeah. 
And he said to me, go outside and look. And so from the front door of the New York Stock Exchange, you could not actually see the buildings because of the other buildings were in the way. But when you looked up in the sky, you could see crap just flying in the air, paper and smoke and just shit like flying in the air. And I thought to myself, I've been going to call my wife to find out what's going on. Hmm. Unbeknownst to me, friends of mine who had been at work in other parts of the city, who had TVs in their offices, who saw this whole thing unfolding, who knew I was in, I had an office in the trade center, had called her when the first plane hit. And so she was, she was already watching TV, but she had already tried to call my office and now there was no answer because I wasn't there, right? And then she called down to the floor and the guy next to us who picked up the phone said to her, I haven't seen Ken. Right now it's nine o'clock, basically. It's five, it's, it's 8.58. He goes, I haven't seen Kenny. So now she's, rightly so, she's panicking. Yeah. Because now she can't remember which building I'm in, which floor I'm on, nothing. And she's just watching TV like everybody else. So when I go onto the floor, I pick up the phone to call my wife. And when she picks up the phone, she's crying. And now I still, because I haven't seen it, and I can't really wrap my head around what I was just told, I'm not really appreciating what's happening, right? So she's crying. And I said, Evelyn, why are you crying? Turn on the TV. You have to tell me what's happening. And she starts screaming at me. Where are you? Where are you? Well, <laughs> at that moment, I laughed. I go, I'm at work. Where are you? Because what was I going to say? What, what are you right. trying to catch me in a lie? What do you think <laughs> I am? But unbeknownst to me, all this was happening, right? And she was screaming, crying. Where are you? Where are you? So that's what I said. And then suddenly... She starts screeching into the phone because now she's watching on TV as the second plane is circling. Now, oh here's, here's what I have to tell you. Now, I'm on the phone. I'm on the floor of the exchange. You can't really see out. If you've ever been on the floor, you understand right. what I mean, right? You, there, there are no windows there. I mean, there are windows, but they're much higher. The floor was low. The windows are high, right? She starts screeching. And I'm saying, to Evelyn, why are you screaming? And then suddenly the plane hits the building. Now, here's, here's what you have to understand. The second plane came from the west east. Yeah. And because mm. it hit the second building in the middle, guess where it hit the second building? The 55th floor. Oh, my God. It hit it at an angle. And with the wingspan, it took out 20 floors. And the, But when the plane hit the building, because it was going west to east, when the explosion came out of the other side of the building, it came east. The exchange is east, and because it was lower in the building, the force of the explosion and the force of the, the thrust of the explosion was, was, was eastward, right? So it went towards the exchange. Now, I'm on the phone with her, and she's screaming, and I don't understand. And then suddenly there was this massive explosion. Is what the plane hit, right? And not only did you hear this explosion, and I can't even tell you because I don't live in a war-torn country where you hear what bombs sound like. I've never heard a bomb hmm. drop, but this was a bomb. I mean, it, the, the, the sound of the explosion was so loud and so intense. But besides that, the force of the explosion caused that you could feel the building shake and the windows, right? You could, and, I, and now I'm saying, now my, my language turns very colorful because now I'm trying to understand right. what is happening. And she's trying to say Al-Qaeda and planes and uh, Al-Qaeda. Who the hell is Al-Qaeda? I don't like that. These are all words. I had no idea what she was talking about. 
and she's screaming and crying into the phone. Now she still thinks I'm actually in the building, right? She doesn't realize that I'm actually on the floor because she's not, she's not listening to me, right? Yeah. She's just screaming. Mm-hmm. And so then they sounded the alarm at the exchange. It was, you know, the, the building get hit, I think at 901, I think it was probably 904. They suddenly sounded the alarm at the exchange because they wanted everyone to get out because now it was clear that this was not just, this was not just a one-off, that this was something much more dire, right? And when you think of America and you think of uh, capitalism, everyone thinks of the New York Stock Exchange. It yeah. really is, it represents, it is, it is part of the fabric of the nation, right? And so they sounded the alarm at the exchange because it became, somebody made the decision, you got to get, you got to get out of the building. You got to get, because no one knew what was coming next. Right? right. So I said to her at the moment when the alarm went off, you know, in the, uh, the I, I said to her, we, I have two daughters. And at the time, one was in ninth grade, one was in sixth grade. And I said to my wife, I need you to kiss the girls and you need to tell them that daddy loves them very much because I didn't know what I was going to see when I walked outside. And yeah. I didn't know if I was going to make it home that day or not. Mm-hmm. So we walked out the east side of the building. You couldn't go out the west side of the building because the trade center was on the west side. So they made everyone go out the east side. And so we got out to the east side and I was on the corner of Broad and Wall. And they were, they were urging us to walk east away from the exchange down Wall Street. And we started to do that. And then suddenly somebody thought they started blowing whistles and they wanted everyone to come back inside the building because they thought people were safer inside than out. And I looked around and I go, I am not going in a building. I'm no way. I'm outside in the street. If I'm going to die today, I'm going to see it coming. I don't want to be in some building. And then I, I just, I, I, I couldn't even imagine. Right. So I, I did not go back inside the New York Chain. I continued to walk East down wall street towards the East river. And when you get about halfway down wall street, you can turn around and you can see just the top halves of the trade center. You couldn't see the whole thing, but you could see. Part of it. And it was at that moment that I saw what everyone else had been seeing. Right. I saw the, the both buildings in flames, the smoke. And you could see, I could see without identifying that it was you or Roosh or it was you, Justin, or it was Chris, but you could see the images of, of yeah. falling, right? You could just see them. And I kept standing there in the street and I kept rubbing my eyes and I kept looking because I like I wasn't processing what I was saying. I was going, it was almost like it was a movie, right? Like mm-hmm. like like you couldn't i couldn't process it yet it was happening and so we uh we turned around we continued to walk and you know what was really interesting too is you could hear the sirens and you could hear the fire engines and you could hear um um uh, uh, the alarms but it was like the world was quiet. Like you could almost hear a pin drop as well. You know what I mean? No, people right. were screaming and freaking out. All people were just walking like drones, but nobody was talking. And remember, you couldn't use your cell phone because the tower, tower one had the big t- cell tower on it got knocked out when the building got knocked out. So my cell phone was useless. Even though you tried, it wasn't mm-hmm. connecting anywhere, right? Because it was just the system was all complete. So as much as I tried to call my wife or my parents or whoever, it just wasn't connecting. So there was still cell phone. There was still pay phones on the corners. In, mm. in 2001 and there were people lined up to use the payphone i go i ain't fucking waiting to use a payphone i'm out of here right right all right so we walked down the east river and then we started walking north because i live north of the city i lived about 50 miles north of new york city and the subways came to a halt not that i was even going downstairs into a subway because i wasn't uh the bridges and tunnels all came to a halt and so the traffic was stuck 
And so all the yellow cabs, any car that was on the street, because it was such a gorgeous day, everyone had their windows down, right? It wasn't like midsummer was 100 degrees out, but it was like 70 degree day, but it was a beautiful day, right? But everyone had their windows down. And so as you're walking on the street, you could hear the radio announcer from car to car to car. You could just hear it repeat and repeat and yeah. you would hear the sirens and you go, and, uh, but then you could hear, a, you could also hear a pin drop. It was like that surreal, right? And so we walked all the way to, we got to Chinatown, which is at the Manhattan Bridge, right? Because downtown by the financial district is the Brooklyn Bridge. And then the next one is the Manhattan Bridge, which is right at Canal Street in Chinatown. And so we got to just about there. Uh, and we left down the exchange at 9.04. Now it's just about 10 o'clock. Now remember, the, the, the building collapsed at 10.01, right? And so suddenly, suddenly you, you, you heard what sounded like they were blowing up the streets like this rumbling. And, 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 and you remember like Independence Day where they just blew up the city and the streets were blowing up. And I thought to myself, they're blowing up the subways. Like I fully expected to see the streets start to explode, right? And then it sounded like it was coming from above, like there were planes above, right? So you're looking up and you're looking down and I fully expected at any moment to get blown up. But at that moment, where we were standing on, on Canal, right on Canal, we had a perfect view of the, both trade centers, both towers. And so when we turned and we looked is when we saw the, 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 the second, the first tower to collapse was the second tower to get hit. So the building I was in was the first building to collapse. And that was because it got hit, in so, it got hit so low that right. the weight above caused that one to collapse first. Remember, the other one was hit way up top. Right. So that one had all the strength underneath the building to hold it up. But the second building, because it got hit in the middle, it weakened much faster. And so I remember standing there in Canal Street and I was looking as the building disappeared right in front of your eyes, the same way everybody knows the smoke and all that stuff. And I thought to myself, that's, that's my building. That's the building I was in an hour ago. Mm -hmm. And so what I came to find out days later was that three people that I know from the 55th floor who survived were on the 25th floor stairwell because when the first building got hit they sounded the alarms in both buildings and they told everybody to exit but you couldn't use the elevators you had to use the stairs right so when the first building got hit at 8:48, they sounded the alarm in both buildings so people on the 55th floor which is where I would have been had he not come back to get me right uh, I would have left with them and we would have, they descended 30 stories from 55 to 25 in 12 minutes. Cause that was the, that was the time in between the hits, right? It was 12 minutes. They went, they descended 30 floors. So that's where I would have been somewhere in the 25th or 26th floor when the second building got hit. And when the second building hits again, because it got hit low, the fire and the, and the fuel and the explosion and all that stuff started raining down inside the inside the building and because it pushed the building like this people fell off the stairs and there was pandemonium suddenly in the stairwell and then what happened is that policemen and firemen started to come up the stairs and in those buildings the stairs were in the center of the building they weren't on the edges they were in the center of the building and so when the plane went through it cut off any of the floors above got cut off you couldn't people on those floors above were never going to get down never going to get down but then what happened is firemen and policemen started to come up. The stairs are only so big. And so now you have people coming up, carrying hoses and equipment and, and you have people trying to go down. And so it took those guys 
another 56 minutes to go from the 25th wow. floor to oh the lobby, gosh. right? Now the building collapsed. It got hit at 9.01 and it collapsed at 10.01, basically. So it collapsed in an hour, right? They got outside on the lobby of the building at about 9.56. Oh, wow. Wow. Right? And then when they got there, you know, they started running. Right. And they ran away. Mm-hmm. They ran away. Now they were still in the neighborhood. When the building started to collapse. They were still in the neighborhood, but they were, had gotten farther enough away that they got caught in the smoke, but they didn't get caught in the actual building. Right. Mm-hmm. So I think to myself, when I found this out, like, where would I have been if, if, if you didn't come back to get me that day and I was in the building, and I was there, blah, blah, blah. where would I have been? Would I have been on the 26th floor? Would I have been on the 25th floor? Would I have stopped to help somebody? Would I have gotten so, so, um, uh, what I've gotten so shocked when I stepped out onto the lobby where the dead bodies were and the pieces and the people jumping and what I've gotten so shocked that I froze and it was just a matter of minutes because then the building started to collapse. Once the building started to collapse, that if you were anywhere in that lot, in that plaza, it was all over. Hmm. And so I think to myself, what would have happened, right? And so that guy that came back to get, that guy who wouldn't take no for an answer that morning saved my life he absolutely saved my life yeah no question but we walked all the way up to grand central because i i you know i would commute out of grand central to go home and uh, when we got to grand central it was it was closed right because they had closed penn station they closed grand central because nobody really knew what was <laughs> but there were throngs of people trying to get in but they but they they locked the doors and people couldn't get into grand central and so I was pre- fully prepared to continue to walk home. But the, one of the guys I was with, his father's a lawyer who had an office right at, time, at Grand Central. So we went to the father's office uh, to use the phones. Now it's now it's 12 o'clock. I didn't get to Grand Central until 12 o'clock. It took me three hours to walk from Wall, from Wall Street to 42nd. And uh, so it was now 12 o'clock and we go up to the, the office and I use the phone and now I called my wife who has not heard from me since nine o'clock. And now she's seen all this stuff happening yeah. and she has no idea where I am. Am I dead or am I alive? Blah, blah, blah. And my daughter, my oldest daughter was at a private school in Tarrytown, New York. And what the school did when this event happened, the school has a record of you know, all the parents and where the parents work and the office buildings are in and all that stuff. And so any parent that had a World Trade Center address, they went around the school and took the kids to the class. Hmm. And I had a World Trade Center address. Right. And so they took my daughter out of class along with all these other kids and they didn't tell them anything. They brought them to the cafeteria and they said, listen, you need to call home because there's been an accident downtown and you need to call home. So she calls home and uh, my wife picks up the phone and it's that in-between time when no one had yeah. heard from me. And so my wife tries to explain to her what happened. And my daughter said, is daddy okay? Is daddy coming home? And so my wife didn't really know the answer to that question. Yet she said, daddy's coming home. But yet she didn't really know if I was coming home or wasn't coming home. Because she hadn't heard from me and she didn't know where I was. And so I remember that they somebody went and picked my daughter up and brought her home because they sent all these kids home. And um, uh after we made the phone calls and after I told her I was okay and all that stuff, and I was going to come home. I said, listen, I might end up having to walk home. That's perfectly okay with me. You can't come to the city to get me. I'm not taking the train to get out of here. The tra- mm-hmm. They've shut down Grand Central. I said, I'm fully prepared to walk home. When I get out of the city, we'll figure it out, but don't worry about it. 
So when we came down, they, they decided to open up Grand Central. They wanted people just to get out of the city, just get out of the city, get on any train and get out. And so I did. So I got on the train that I had to get on. And if you've ever been to Grand Central, there are two levels. There's the ground level and then there's the subterranean level, which is right. down in the belly of the city, right? And so naturally my train's down in the belly of the city. Of course it is. And so I go down into my train and, and uh, the trains were packed just shoulder to shoulder and nobody was talking, but you could hear people crying. You could hear people praying, but nobody was like just talking, right? Um, and so the door shut and you know, electric trains, when they, when, when the train first starts to move, the sparks fly and the lights in the train go, go off and on and off and on. And so that's what happened. And when they went off and on, people started to gas because right away you thought, yeah. you know, the train was going to blow up, right? It didn't, but you, you know, it was so stressful at the moment. Right? And so it takes 12 minutes to leave when you leave the station to get out to 125th Street, where you come up and out, you're actually out, outside. And when the trains come up out of there, it comes up and it turns left and then it goes north again. And when a train turns left, you have this spectacular view of the west side of Manhattan. You can see all the way down to the tip on a clear day. You can see Lady Liberty. You can see it all, right? And so when the train came up and out and it made that left, everybody in the train kind of kind of leaned over to look out the window. And all you saw was that was the smoke. The, the buildings were gone. It was just this smoke that was hanging over the city. And I'll never forget that like people just just stared out the window and then the train moves north and so you can't see it anymore. But then people were just crying and people were just praying, but no one was really talking, right? Hmm. So then the train got home and by the time I get to my stop, it was, you know, two two thirty in the afternoon. I got in my car and I drove home, but I got into my house. It was 10 minutes to three, whatever time it was. And there were a bunch of people at my house who had come to my house, you know, neighbors, friends, whatever. And so I walked in and, uh, you know, my wife was there, my kids were there, all these other people were there. And I sat down on the couch and I just stared at the television because now I hadn't really seen what everyone else had been watching, right? Yeah. And I sat on the couch and I just stared at the television and I stared and I stayed on that couch for three days. Like I couldn't, I, like I couldn't even move, right? I just, I remember it was 24 hours a day. It was just, it was nothing else, right? right? I just right. stared at the TV and, uh, you know, the exchange didn't open obviously on Tuesday, it didn't open on Wednesday, it didn't open on Thursday. And here's the part that nobody understood. And this is the part that nobody, you know, it, it, no one made it public because it would have created massive, massive panic. Mm -hmm. But when we went through Y2K, and after we went through Y2, y, after we went, after the world went through Y2K, then it was incumbent upon the exchange. The exchange had been spending all the 90s getting ready to modernize post the turn of the century, right? Yeah. So now once we went through the turn of the century and everything worked and planes didn't fall out of the sky and GPS systems worked and all that shit, computers worked, then it was the push to audit, start to automate the, the New York Stock Exchange and the trading practices and all that stuff. And so we did all that. So now it's, now it's September of 2001. So it's a year after we've done all that. But what people don't, didn't understand was all the fiber optic, well, they were T1 lines. They weren't fiber optic yet. We didn't have fiber optic but they mm -hmm. were T1 lines and telephone lines, everything that was connected to the New York Stock Exchange that made all those servers and computers work, all the communication lines that allowed order flow to command, executions to happen, reports to go out, all around the world, connected everywhere. The lines ran through the belly of the Trade Center because there was the conduit that went out through the belly of the Trade Center under the Hudson River and then out 
in Jersey. And then and from there, right, it was like a web. <laughs> and what people didn't realize when the trade centers collapsed, everything got destroyed. So severed. All the cables and wires get severed. So now the New York Stock Exchange was actually neutered. It did wow. not function because wow. now we had open outcry was gone, right? Now right. it was all about technology. It was all let the computers right, do right, it. Right, right. Well, guess what? Now the computers couldn't do it because even though you could turn the lights on at the New York Stock Exchange and turn the computer on, there was no communication because mm -hmm. the lines were all severed. And so that became apparent immediately to anybody in the industry, right? The, the SEC, the government, the industry, um, it was apparent that the New York Stock Exchange was now, right? And there was no backup plan. Here's the other thing. There was no backup plan for an event like that. Who could have had, who could have right. even Seriously. considered an event like that? Right. Yeah, there was, there was a, there was a trading floor a mile away in Brooklyn. Trust me, it wasn't a trading floor. Look at nursery mm -hmm. school, right? Um, and so there was no real backup plan. And so the exchange couldn't open. It certainly didn't open on Tuesday, but then it couldn't open on Wednesday. It couldn't open on Thursday. And so we shipped guys in from around the country, fiber optic guys and cable guys and wire guys, telephone guys, because now they had to get the New York Stock Exchange reconnected to the outside world. In the middle of this tragedy, mm -hmm. they had to get this done. And when, when you cannot imagine, you cannot imagine what the what the wiring looks like. If you go to the New York Stock Exchange, the, the trading floor is 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 um, is uh, uh, lifted, and you can pick up parts of the trading floor, and it goes down eight feet, right? And underneath the trading floor are these just miles and miles of wires that connects all these servers to computers and tele telephones out to the outside world. It's 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 amazing to understand how anyone even understands what's under there, right? <laughs> right. But, how to find anything there. How to find I mean it's amazing. It's truly amazing. And so we shipped these guys in immediately because they had to, they had to wire up the new exchange because guess what? Open outcry was gone. And since order delivery was now electronic and all that stuff and the open outcry none all that stuff was gone. That, that the only way to get the only way to trade stocks again was they had to get this they had to get this rewired and the other thing they had to do was Merrill Lynch and Dean Witter and Lehman Brothers and Kitterfish, all these brokers that were in the buildings that collapsed or those buildings surrounding that got damaged they all had to be they all had to be uh, find new places to trade to set up shop ICAP which was the firm that where I had my business under their umbrella was was one of those firms and so. Um, they ended up said we most of the places went to the meatpacking district in New York. Part of the meatpacking district, remember, they were all these big old warehouses that were yeah. mostly empty. Yeah. And so um, Bloomberg sent all kinds of Bloomberg machines, and Verizon sent telephones, and 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 they were all picnic tables, right? Picnic tables everywhere. And they set up these they set up these offices like that, picnic tables and and and, and phone systems and and Bloomberg and wires everywhere. But they did it. Here's the here's the most amazing thing. They did it in six days. It was really unbelievable to think of the task of rewiring right. and doing that, right? Because you can't, you have a problem with your internet at your house. You can't get Verizon to come there. <laughs> <laughs> well, they, they rewired the whole place. And we had to come down over the weekend on Saturday and Sunday. Now, all they kept saying was, you know, on Wednesday, you know, we, there was like a telephone tree, right, of, of exchange people. And so Wednesday morning, I had a, a phone call, you know, Exchange is not opening. Make your calls. And so then I made the calls and the calls. And then Thursday, exchange not opening. Friday, exchange not opening. And so now what happens? Think about this for a minute. On Tuesday, when the event happens, okay, everyone understands the exchange early. But now Wednesday, here you are. 
Justin Nielsen, you've worked your whole life. You've got money in your 401k. And on Monday night, it was worth $5 million. And on Tuesday, now this event happens. And now you look at your wife and you go, you know what? I, I, I want my money. I, I don't want to own right. Johnson wow. & Johnson and Verizon, which are all fine companies. But you go, screw it. I want my money. Yep. So you call your broker, Arush, and you say, hey, Arush, I want you to sell my stocks. And he says, I can't because the exchange isn't open. And the NASDAQ wasn't open either because you couldn't open one exchange and not the other. Right. So everything mm -hmm. was shut down. If you remember, everything in this country was shut down. Nothing traded in this country. And so then you say, okay, so then on Thursday morning, you wake up and you call Arush and you say, okay, Arush, sell my stocks today. And he says, I can't. Mm -hmm. And so now you start to think, okay, on Monday, my account was worth $5 million. And then this event happens. And now there's panic around the country and really around the world. And I can't sell my stocks. And when I do, Maybe it's only going to be worth $3 million. Right. You don't know, right? Yep. And then Friday morning, you get up, you call Arusha. Okay, sell my stock. Now, think about this. We as Americans, we invest in Asia. We invest in Europe. Well, Europeans and Asians invest in, invest, invest in America as well. Right. And so when this event happens, they call their broker over in China or Singapore or Australia, wherever they are, or Europe, or, uh, France, Germany, Italy, wherever it is. They call their broker and say, sell my U.S. stocks. So now do you see what's happening? There's this global panic starting to build. And we knew it was coming, but yet we couldn't do anything about it other than try to get the place up and running again, right? Because there was going to be this global panic. And so now, we, now, Kenny, so after it got up, did you go back to the location? I mean, yeah. So, so we had to go down on Saturday and Sunday. We had to test our phones. Now, look. Yeah. I had 12 individual direct dial phones that used to come into my booth to each one of my customers. They provided me one phone line, one single phone line to try to run my business when I had 12 phone lines before, right? I had, we had six computers in my, in my booth space on the floor. Two of them were the, two of them were working. The other four weren't working because it was just not enough bandwidth, right? Right. And so they put this place together, back together with spit and band-aids. They really did. I have to tell you, they did an amazing and amazing job. Yeah, so absolutely incredible. We tested the system on Saturday and Sunday. And then Monday, we had to come back. And on Monday the 17th, it was a really emotional day. It was a really yeah. emotional day. And uh, when we got back, the people who could come back came back. But there were people who decided, I'm not going back. Right. And there right. were three members who we lost because they were in the trade center up having breakfast at that event on windows of the world who they so we lost them and then there were some people who just chose not to come back and everyone who could come back came back on monday but there was also emt policemen firemen there was hillary clinton there was chuck schumer right the state centers there were congressmen representing different parts of the city and there was this woman from the army that they that they brought in and they had her up on the podium and at 9 15 they rang the bell once and when they ring the bell once at the exchange, that means everyone's quiet because there's an announcement or there's something happening. Everyone's quiet. They rang the bell once, the whole place just complete silence. And suddenly this woman starts to sing God Bless America. And she just belts it out in an acapella. She just sang God Bless America. And you're standing there on the floor of the exchange after this horrendous event happened and there, there's this tragedy three blocks away and here we are trying to get the country back up and running again because 
It was important not only for the country, it was important for finance, it was important for the global financial system because, because we had gotten taken out of the picture for six days and America did not trade. Remember, money trades around the world. Sunday night in New York is Monday morning in Asia. And then the sun sets on Asia, it rises in Europe, and then it sets on Europe, it rises in America, then it sets in America, goes back to Asia. And so 24 hours a day, money's moving around the world, right? Stocks are trading around the world all the time. And so, uh, but stocks hadn't traded since Tuesday. And so everyone was very concerned on this Monday that the market, the bell was going to ring and the market was going to come under immediate intense selling pressure Mm -hmm. because it was the first opportunity for anybody to sell. And that's exactly what happened is the market came under, they they rang the bell and everybody, everybody went like this. (sighs) Because I, I fully expected the place to implode, implode meaning fail because they put it together with spit band-aids yeah, right 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 you volume was going to surge the market was going to come under pressure it was all running on technology that was that was you know put together with a shoestring and so when it happened when the bell rang you could hear the hum of the computers and then suddenly the ticket tape started to move and you could and you could see that stocks started to trade and the market came under immediate sell pressure and it and it and it and it closed down. I think 590 or 600 points that day, which was a huge move in 2001. 600 points on the mm-hmm. Dow. But everyone ran around all day, like on eggshells, and it, there was none of that usual, you know, that usual banter that used to take place on the floor. None of that. Everyone was right. just focused, and everyone. It was just a somber day, but yet everyone just did what they had to do. And and the market, as the day wore on, the market got weaker and weaker. And then at four o'clock, the bell rang. And it was an ugly day financially, but I have to tell you something. It was probably one of the greatest days of my career in the sense that here we were really at what people would describe then as the heartbeat of capitalism. Mm -hmm. And you had felt like the whole country just got kicked in the gut seven days, six days before and everyone got knocked down. And at four o'clock in the afternoon, even as ugly as it was, you could almost feel like the whole country locked arms with each other and stood up. You, it, it, it was that powerful that you could feel the whole country stand up. And it was at that moment that um, we said, okay, you kicked us pretty hard and we fell down, but guess what? Now we stood up and now we're coming to get you. And it was such a feeling of, it was, it was such mixed emotions because on the one hand, people started to cry, grown men actually crying because the stress had been up here all day. Yeah, Everyone yeah. expecting failure, 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 and it didn't fail. So they were tears of patriotism. They were tears of incredible joy that you know we stood up, that this horrendous event happened, yet, yet you could almost, you could see through, right? And, as, and, and listen, it remained horrendous, and it is still horrendous 20 years later, but it remained horrendous for weeks and weeks and weeks afterwards, right? I mean, I, I mean listen, it, it, took, it, took, it took months and months and months for them to, to even sift through what was, what was over there, just right? right. And, and mm-hmm. the smell, because the fire in the belly of the trade center burned for three months. It burned until November. And so there was every day there was this odor that was emanating from the trade center. And depending on which way the wind was blowing that morning, you know, either it got blown out over the Hudson into Jersey or it got blown out over lower Manhattan. When you came out of the subway, you got hit with this stench that I can't, I can't describe to you other than to say that it was the smell of death, right? Because it was 
burning it was burning bodies and concrete and 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 desks and rugs and and just shit right and um but it was a horrendous smell that i can smell it like i can still smell it i can't tell you though what it smelled like because i can only describe it as i described it right doesn't smell like the ocean it doesn't smell like roses it just has a Mm -hmm. stench and uh but after that day, you know, we realized and the country realized that, you know, this was going to be, this was going to be a significant event in the history of the United States for sure. But that, but that we were strong enough to, as ugly as it was and as painful as it was, that after the bell rang at four o'clock on, on that Monday, like there was this sense that it was going to be okay. It was a sense that, you know, the country was going to recover and it would take a while, but you could, you could sense that it, we were going to recover. And in fact, we did. And then right. the rest is history, what happened from there, right? But the market became very erratic and volatile for weeks afterwards because there was still this underlying fear over this second shoe to drop. Remember, there was all those conversations about there was right. another shoe, there was another shoe. Right. And if you remember correctly, and it was probably a month later, I think you could look it up and see it. But I don't know if you guys remember because you're in California, but it was 10.30 or 11 o'clock on this one trading day. And a plane had taken off from Kennedy Airport uh, on its way to, I don't know, Dominican Republic or something. And there was a failure in the plane. There was some kind of electrical failure. And as it took off from Kennedy and it was over the Rockaways in New York, the plane exploded. And it rained down on the Rockaways. And it was only, it was only a month at most, I think, after 9-11 happened. And, and when that news hit the tape, the market started to plunge again because everybody thought, everybody here we thought, go again. Was, here we go again. That was the next event, right? And, and the fact is that it happened in New York and this plane had exploded and pieces were just raining down on rock on the, the Rockaways, right? And the market, uh, the market started to uh, uh, immediately went into a sell-off mode. But then they, they you know, then they, they, uh, uh, they nipped it in the butt right away that it wasn't, it was a, it was a, it was a tragedy. Yes. But it was a failure of the plane. It wasn't a failure. It wasn't a, it wasn't an attack. So the market stabilized, but it, but it remained on edge and yeah. it remained on edge for a number of months afterwards yeah. until everyone really felt like, okay, you know, the second event wasn't happening and, you know, but we remained on edge and I, and I'll never forget it. It, 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 it was, it was a tremendous moment in my life as it was for everybody, but it was a tremendous moment being right there on the floor of the exchange, everything that represented everything that America is, right? It's free, it's capitalism, it's, it's opportunity. And it was so powerful to be there at that, at that time in history, right? Even yeah. today, you know, I mean, it's different today, but it still represents, you know, when you think when people come to New York, you know, everyone wants to go to the New York Stars. Right, right. right. But because so, of that event, you can't go anymore, right? Yeah. That event, no more. They're not letting anybody through those doors anymore. And, and as a result of that event, and listen, it may have happened anyway, but as a result of that event, we have the market structure we have today, which is really plan B, right? We, are the, we now have 11 exchanges. Decentralized. And have, it's decentralized. And we have 50 alternative venues, dark pools, right. alternative trading systems, mm-hmm. where you can trade any stock anywhere. So if they blow up the New York Stock Exchange tomorrow, is it a tragedy? Absolutely. Will trading halt for the day? Probably. I'd like to think that they'd stop trading for the day. Mm-hmm. But then tomorrow, the, the markets would open. Now, listen, it may get ugly. Prices may fall. 
but you will have an opportunity to sell or buy depending on what you want to do. In 9-11, you didn't have that opportunity right. because the markets couldn't open. And, and what's interesting is that you know, nobody really understood why the markets couldn't open. It's because we had, we had converted to all this technology. We were this 21st century market. And then we get, then we get screwed. Right? And I don't think, listen, I'm not saying that Al-Qaeda knew the wires went through the trade center. I don't, I'm not, that's all what I'm saying. What I'm saying, it's just, that's how it happened. Right. And, so, and so, you know, for as sophisticated as we were. There was a vulnerability. There was a massive vulnerability. Yeah. And, uh, and so then it became clear, you know, here we were the, the, the biggest nation in the world in terms of market, the size of our market. And we were still in the 21st century operating in a single location. I mean, that's the NASDAQ, right? You're talking about listed big, right? In a single location with 5,000 people that would show up every single day. The rest of the world, meanwhile, had already automated years ago, London back in the 80s, Japan, Asia, whatever, all back in the 80s, right? They had already decentralized and automated. The new, the America, here we were, right? We're still operating wow. as if it was, you know, 1950. Mm-hmm. And so that became... The call to, you know, come up with a plan. How do we fix this? How, because up to this point, we were using technology to create efficiency. How do we get efficiency? How do we get more order flow to the floor and get executed? And how do we do that electronically and get rid of the human beings? It was all about efficiency. Mm-hmm. After the event, the focus became security and stability. Yeah. Efficiency fell to the third spot. That's now amazing. it was all about how do we use technology to create security and stability? Forget the efficiency. That's bullshit. Yeah. So today, the technology allows, as fractured as it is, and I think it's very fractured, but guess what? Because we have the technology, it connects it all, so it seems to work. And look, during COVID, the New York Stock Exchange shut down for eight weeks. You didn't know that. Trading was not affected. If right. you didn't know it was shut right. down, you wouldn't know. very good point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. And so people yeah. say, well, why do we need the exchange today? Okay, I hear you. The exchange is a, is a venue, just like the electronic venues, but the difference is the exchange is iconic. Yes. Right. It is. And, and this is where it, it's it, it, it's part of the fabric of the nation. It would be yeah. like it, it would be like, you know, saying, why do we need Plymouth Plantation? Why don't we just get rid of it and build houses there? Because it's part of the fabric of the nation. Mm-hmm. It's, it defines part of who we are. And, and while it doesn't while it doesn't function the same way it did 30 years ago or 40 years ago when I first started there, it, in fact, still functions today. It's an electronic marketplace. There's not 5,000 people there anymore. There's less than 200. And all they really do is, is all they really do is make sure the machines keep working. <laughs> the same way they do at NASDAQ, the same way they do at bids, the same way they do at the CBOE, it's all electronic. And so the people that are there are really people that now manage the computers. They're not really trading. The trading is done algorithmically. <laughs> you know, here we are this weekend. It's it's going to be 20 years. Um, you know, it, it's it's good to remember and, and uh, especially someone like you that can really paint the picture of what it was like, you know, and, um, you know, and, and it was personal for you, obviously, Um, you know, it it, kind of makes it personal for all of us. And and it took a long time because remember, I knew plenty of people that didn't make it. Right. Guys that were my age that had young kids and young marriages and young wives who did not have the opportunity. And so I, you know, there is this thing called survivor's remorse. Like I think to myself, Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was in that building, and so was Arouche. And so close, right? And 
And why did I get the phone call? Why did he come back up to get me? Why was right. he so insistent right. that I had to leave the building? Yeah. Well, Arusha didn't have that chance, right? No one came yep. to get him. He's sitting there at his desk. Next thing you know, he's dead. And, you know, here he was, young kid, young wife, two kids, a house in the, a house in the suburbs, blah, blah, blah. But yet I was sitting in the office next door and I somehow got lucky. Yeah. But you spent a lot of time, I spent a lot of time, you know, trying to understand. And, and you know, people would say to you, you know, it wasn't your time. And that doesn't help in a time like this because I say, well, why was it Roosh's time? Seriously. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I was mm -hmm. sitting right next to him. Why yeah. was it his time and it wasn't my time? And the other thing that's really, really unsettling for a long time is the people you know who you don't know, who you don't see anymore. So what I mean by that is I had a routine, right? I would take yeah. the train at 450. I'd get the Grand Central at 530. I'd walk down into the subway. People, humans are creatures of habit. I go to the same place in yep. the subway every day. Yep. And guess what? Arusha shows up there every day, coming from yep. somewhere else. He wasn't on the same train. He came from Brooklyn. So he takes another train to get to Grand Central. And Justin, you come in. And then Chris comes in. And we all happen to be like animals where we, we're creatures of habit, where we go to the same spot every day. And yep. I don't know you, and I don't know you, and I don't know Chris. But yet, we see each other every, every single day. day. And I would yeah. say to you, hey, how are you? How was your weekend? I didn't know your name, but we'd say, how, I'd say, how was your weekend? And then I'd get to Wall Street, and I'd come up out of the subway, and I'd go to the coffee cart. And there I'd see three more people who I didn't know, but I knew every day I would see right. that. Right, right. And when life returned to normal, and the coffee cart guy came back, and I came up out of the subway at my usual time, suddenly those three people never showed up again. Now that doesn't mean that they're dead necessarily, but yeah. you don't know, right? Yeah. right? Yeah. I know my buddy, my buddies who got killed, I know because I went to their funerals. I know that. But these three people that I would see at the coffee cart every single day, in and day out, who never showed up again, you're left to wonder what happened. And that was one of the most difficult things to kind of, wrap your head around and, 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 and reconcile and find a place in my head to put that because you always wonder, mm -hmm. did they live? Did they die? What's their family like? Do they have kids? Do they have wife? Do they, you know, you, you, like the, the questions don't stop. And, and, and that was also one of the most difficult things to kind of deal with, right? How, how long did it take you to finally feel like you're getting back to somewhat of a normal routine where you're not thinking about it every day it took a while yeah i'd say i'd say i'd say if i try to remember back i'd say it was a good six or seven months before you i mean listen you thought about it every day because you couldn't help it right, right right especially in those in constant those reminder and, and then you heard the smells and constant all this reminder the smell and the right. you know it was a constant reminder but you know i think it was probably six or seven months where you didn't it like it was for, for a while it was overwhelming yes yeah right because I, i'd get out of the subway and you just you couldn't help but think am i going to see them today am i going to see them today like it was almost like i couldn't wait to see them. i wanted to hug them mm -hmm. but every day went by and they never showed up mm -hmm. and so those are the people that you're left to wonder about right and what happened to their lives what happened to their families what happened to their wife and kids and you know, that was, that was, that was one of the hardest things because the people who died, I went to their wake and I know they died. It was, there was closure. It was just really hard. It was just really hard.
people. And there were so many stories of that, you know, again, people that you knew, people that you didn't know. I mean, that's the thing that, uh, I mean, it's, it's, I, I didn't have to live through it in such a personal way, but man, just hearing the stories and, you know, you, you, you see it on TV sometimes during these anniversaries. Uh, yeah. I've been in New York a number of times. I, I was there at the 10th anniversary, you know, yeah. just for work. And, and I'm a little bit hear nervous the stories. Mm -hmm. I, I, for some reason, I'm a little bit worked up about this weekend because of what's going on in Afghanistan. And I'm just, there's crazies out there. And I've, I've, my daughter lives in Manhattan. I said to her, I don't want you in the city this weekend. I just want yeah. to get, get out of Smart. this. Well, uh, again, thank, thanks so much, Kenny. I, yeah, again, yeah, you're very just, welcome. Okay, folks, that's it for this week's podcast. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. On next week's podcast, we're going to have Mary Ellen McGonigal. She actually is a former employee of William O'Neill and & Company, and she's now currently the director of stocks at Simpler Trading. So it'll be a joy to talk to her again. Hope you join us for that. Thanks for watching and listening. And for this week's notes and charts, make sure to go to investors.com slash podcast, where you'll find details for each episode in the podcast episode section. And make sure to subscribe, rate and review our podcast if you haven't already. We'd really appreciate it. You can also send us your questions and comments to investingpodcast at investors.com. We would love to hear from you and may use your comments on an upcoming episode. This podcast is for informational and educational purposes only, and nothing should be construed as a recommendation to buy, hold, or sell any securities. Make sure to consider consulting with your financial advisor before making any investment decisions.